I just want a Blu-ray copy of the movie Steel, and, and I'll give you a positive review on all of your movies. Yeah. Steel is a great movie. Uh, Steel is the one with Shaq? Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't even know what this is. I don't even know I knew that. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that I didn't even know I knew. <laughs> Which is a movie. I don't know why we have not done it yet. Uh, yeah, right. This was a DC movie. Yeah. It's very up our alley. Is this a, like, Man of Steel? No. Well, I mean, it's another Man of Steel. But, but, he's a steel man. He's a literal steel man, yes. Oh. He's a man. Well, doesn't he, like, dress in steel? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it would be very heavy. But hey, it's Shaq wearing a very rubber suit. Deal. Goodness, 1997. Yeah. They make a joke about how Shaq is terrible at free throws in the movie. Wow. <laughs> like the like the stopping of the bomb moment rests on whether or not Shaq can make the shot. <laughs> oh my God, him wearing this outfit is just every frame is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like falling apart. <laughs> are you telling me the climax of steel involves the bad guys hack and shack is that what Basically, you're telling me that's good that's they pull correct. a hack a shack at the end of steel <laughs> absolutely nico that's wild how else do you end a movie <laughs> guys happy jalai Ooh, we got a bit we certainly do <laughs> and i don't have a stinger for it but i'll get one next week <laughs> you want me to just play the song sure fuck yeah yeah this score fucking rips the goblin score the goblin fucking score dude it definitely sounds just like halloween but i'm gonna forgive that <laughs> i mean yeah they they got there first they got there they before did. carpenter i was wondering did carpenter like steal from this uh, i would i would say so yeah i would say i mean clearly carpenter was influenced by like the style of prog rock that you hear in this movie. <laughs> Do you know how he actually came up with the score of, of Halloween? Tell me. He was playing the bongos in 3-4 time, and he's like... <laughs> and he's like, oh... <laughs> It has nothing to do with anything. It's just, <laughs> oh, that works. It's the most John Carpenter story of all time. <laughs> I decided to switch it up and go three, four times today. And all of a sudden I invented the most iconic horror theme of all time. Exactly. Did you see he's directing a movie from his couch? What? He's directing a movie via Zoom. He's watching the footage. Yeah, he's like, of the set. they wanted me to direct this thing and... I didn't want to leave the house. God, he's so lazy. I got a fucking, you know, Halo level to beat or whatever. It's like, even when you see him doing his film scores, which I actually love, but he's just doing them in his house with his kids and that's that. It's yeah. just so, he's so fucking lazy. Nick, are you aware that John Carpenter has decided to leave the world of cinema behind to pursue recreational gaming? Yeah, I mean, good for him. I can't. He just doesn't shave and plays video games all day long. That's pretty sick. And occasionally, like, gets out of the house to play the Halloween score in front of a crowd of 15 people and then goes back in his house. That's how you do it. It's a pretty great life. It is not, not a bad life. <laughs> it's a good living if you can get it. I see the videos of him playing, like, Escape from New York in front of the crowd. Like, all of his themes, the Assault on Precinct 13 theme, it's just great That's music. what rips. That fucking is. Assault on Precinct 13 absolutely slaps. <laughs> oh, my God, it's the best. <laughs> no, Carpenter was clearly influenced. I mean... Not just by the music in this movie, but the whole style, the whole vibe, the whole plot, everything. Yeah. Uh, Deep Red is the movie we're doing today. And I'm here drinking Code Red. Does our next Jalo movie have to be white and then the next one blue to ce celebrate the 4th of July? Ooh, not a bad idea. Yeah, but Jalo means yellow in Italian. So what do you make of that? That's the problem. I feel like we're struggling enough to find good Jalo films. I shouldn't add extra. <laughs> preconditions or whatever well finding the bad ones are actually the challenge i mean a lot of the ones that i know of are all like quite good uh well my thought was we do this one first because this is although not the first giallo movie or not even the one that popularized the genre but often considered to be the best giallo film either this or suspiria the two argento movies are at blood and black lace there's another that's the mario bava movie yes uh, bava was the other sort of yeah. godfather of the genre but i figured we start with this one to get a foundation just so everybody kind of knows the genre that we're working in 
And then maybe we start bending the rules a little bit in the why is this a thing way by doing some American Jalos, you know, maybe some slashers that are influenced by Jalo, but not by the letter of the law. But I I think we will tap this thing up in a couple of weeks. But right now we're just doing a great fucking movie called Deep Red. Now, we have already technically done one of these sort of Jalo-esque Wittat movies, Malignant. That's right. I would call it Jalo. Last year? Two years ago? Two years ago. Yeah, that's right. Is that when we came up with this idea for Jalai? When did this come up? I believe so. Okay. So this is a long gestating bit here. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. So we're finally pulling it off, and it's a great fucking name. We'll see if the bit matches the name. (laughs) Well, I (laughs) I had seen this movie before, and I love it so much i actually it's i actually like it a little more than suspiria and suspiria is great uh but this movie just fucking fires on all cylinders at every second that the movie can basically the whole movie it just does not stop it is just a constant jam of a movie and very much unlike anything i'm sure you guys have ever seen before i mean it's one of the best versions of this movie that i've ever seen before but i think it's just really well executed at every turn yeah the amazing thing to me watching it not being a Jalo scholar is how much DNA of other movies that I love are in this. Oh, thing. sure, sure. Yeah. So Jalo is this genre that emerged in Italy in the late 60s through the 70s and kind of fizzles out in the 80s. As I said, it uh, means yellow in Italian. And it derives from these paperback crime books. Pulp novels. Yeah. Pulp novels here. You might call them uh, Penny Dreadfuls. In the UK, you know, all these different cultures have these cheap sort of paperback short story collections. And, you know, they were basically compilations of like Edgar Allan Poe short stories or Agatha Christie short stories. Um, And those crime novels were made into films that had a kind of horror bend to them. You know, they kind of combined the pulpy crime mystery with the macabre kind of... uh, ultraviolence that I think uh, we come to expect in horror films these days. Dario Argento, who we're covering today, was one of the main architects of the genre. And then they go away, but in America, they hang around for a decade and a half because slasher movies are completely indebted to this entire subgenre, right? Like, I could not believe how much of the original Friday the 13th is in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. From, like, the central mystery to... You know, the POV shots of the killer to the music choices, obviously not as good. A lot of stuff, the De Palma movies, as you mentioned, a lot of the stuff that I enjoy is in this. I just kind of quickly define Jalo as the intersection of slasher horror and like a thriller noir. Totally. Except Jalo has very specific motifs, which we've talked about in the past being like the knives the red color and like gold and very elegant and bombastic at every turn. They're I guess very with, colorful. Yeah. Hyper expressive with the colors. It's like does with German expressionism does with shadows is what this is doing with color. A lot of the time, although this also uses shadows. very much. So yes, yeah. very much. So, yeah. but it's very much with the setting very much with all of the characters and the way they dress and like their jewelry. Everything is even the acting so bombastic and kind of over the top. There's like an art deco vibe to like the setting as well. in a lot of these movies too, um, there's always, there's often a blacked glove killer. Yeah. Much like the black hat in a Western, right? Like yep. <laughs> there are these very tropey, obvious symbols that just like indicate who we're following at any given time. A unique murder weapon is a big thing. Yep. Uh, like this in blood and black lace, not the case with Suspiria, but that bends the genre a little bit in the supernatural direction. Yes. But still would qualify as Jalo. I don't know what else you'd call it. <laughs> yeah. This thing was actually released in America as the hatchet killer at one point. Obviously, they use a hatchet in creative ways in this. And yeah, it's really fucking good. I know, right? It's really fucking good. Did you, you guys liked it? The doll, bro. Ah, one of my favorite scares of all time. Ah! <laughs> oh my God, the doll. Well, you think the scare is coming from over here? Nope, it's over there. I love it. 
I love it so much. It's crazy how <laughs> many very, very famous horror franchises seem to have literally just ripped off this movie. I mean, Saw rips this off. Oh my God, Saw. Jigsaw with that little doll guy at the end. Yes. And then the guy jumps out from the curtains in the other direction. That felt very Scream, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of those movies where you learn a lot about why these things work and you get a, a great sense of like how direction can be used to misdirect the eye and then fool the audience and therefore scare them more like that that scene is just brilliant it is so ingenious and it's like film school in like one shot and it's like ah god that's such a great idea it's very rare in a movie you either see jump scares which dissipate immediately or you see sort of like lengthy gruesome scares in like you know the torture porn movies where the scares are not as like heart racing but they last for a while that is somehow both at the same time. Yeah. That scene, <laughs> it scares you immediately because it jumps out of nowhere. And the way that fucking doll moves across the so room. wrong. Like you've never <laughs> seen anything move like R2-D2 mm-hmm. hovering over the ground. And then you look at the thing with its head smashed open and you see all of the, you know, the springs and the mechanical wiring inside the doll. And it gets scarier and scarier and scarier. It's very rare that I see a jump scare that gets scarier the more I watch it. <laughs> it's it's masterful stuff. It's incredible. I agree. Um, yeah, the scares in this are so good. And this thing really hasn't aged a fucking day, even though it came out in 1975 and is, you know, dubbed over and, you know, all of the stuff that dates Italian cinema of this era just makes no difference to me here. It scared me so fucking much. Yep. This thing. Now I will say the connective tissue does not really rise to the occasion of the set pieces, particularly the romance between our two leads did not really work for me that well. Okay. So I don't really think that was even really intended to be a romance. I think it was more intended to be a red herring Because she was immediately, to me, my number one suspect. Well, I certainly think, too, that we've all been conditioned to watch, you know, movies a certain way. And we've seen this trope of, like, the questionable woman, you know. I guess, is she really a femme fatale? I would would not say so at all. No. She's not sexy or interesting enough to be a femme fatale. That's the femme the, fatale has to be like, like, who is that? Like, the audience can't take their eye off the Alluring and dangerous. Much like the, the lead. And she is... You know, kind of a a roll-up-her-sleeves working woman. Yeah. You know, that is an equal to David Hemmings' character, is not, like, subservient, and doesn't really have leverage over him either in the way that a lot of femme fatales do. She's just kind of an equal partner. Yeah, I I understand what you mean, Nick, where it's like, oh, well, maybe. Like, can I trust anybody here? Is this woman really who she says she is the entire way through? Let's just talk about the suspects, I guess, here for a second. Because right off the bat... We see a killing at the beginning of the movie. A Christmas killing. A Christmas killing. Hell yeah. yeah. Christmas tree. We're in a Christmas movie. But we see somebody putting on eye makeup. That sort of indicates it could be a woman. And then this character, Gianna, I think, or was that her name? Yes. Yeah. She comes in and he says, the main character, he says that women are weaker and gentler. And she takes a ton of offense to this, which sort of implies that she is somebody who doesn't want to feel weak. And I think that was meant to be like a clue that like the killer could be a woman. Later in the movie, it's revealed who we think the killer is. Then it's revealed who the actual killer is. And I don't want to spoil that yet until we get there. But totally. There's a lot of kind of red herrings and trying to throw you off the right track. Yeah. And a lot more layers than you would think. I mean, I get into movies like this and I think they're going to be a little more simple than they often are. Because, you know, I think, you know, every everyone nowadays is trying to up the ante on what the last guy did, particularly with like Ryan Johnson, for example. Yes. But no, this is a good movie that occasionally threw me for a loop. And I was like, oh, there's more layers to this than I initially gave it credit for. And if you're talking about Scream, like before they do kind of do something similar to what Scream does. I figured it out. Yeah. yeah. No. But but I, I feel smart. I'm not trying to be like the movie's dumb. I'm trying to be like, I'm brilliant. Well, I figured it out because because I noticed the, the, the detail in the mirror. No, honestly, I am. Oh, wow. You did notice. Oh, that. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm usually really bad at solving crimes. I mean, so anytime that I do it, I'm like, wow, I, I fucking nailed it. This time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> look, at, look at how fucking awesome Nico look is. At me, look at fucking, I, I'm fucking a, a, a proper Hercule Poirot. It's a good thing when like 50 percent of people who watch are able to figure it out because that shows the movie is setting it up properly. Sure. And it's not like just out of nowhere, but it's also mysterious enough that people could miss some things. And I love when the actual clue is actually in. This is just like in Glass Onion. Um, the actual clue of the whodunit was in the frame and you might have missed it. 
Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's kind of like how the SATs, they want like a certain percentage to get above the you know threshold for admission to a college. And the horror movies or mysteries like that are the same way, where it's like you want it to be just hard enough so enough people can get it if they're observant. But you also like don't want the fucking casual viewers to be able to get it. It requires you to do the work. It requires you to study it in order to solve it. It's kind of a dangerous place to be when you're constantly trying to figure it out and it's just frustrating. Well, you want it also to make sense. You want to have the aha moment at the end and maybe you sacrifice the surprise for some viewers, but you don't sacrifice their sense of satisfaction. Yeah, and the parts of this movie that aren't a mystery, the more slashery parts or gory parts, I mean, the whole movie just fucking slaps, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Fucking rules. No, I felt the same way. And listen, some movies, if they don't slap, like I watched uh, the Perot movie Death on the Nile last year. That movie didn't slap, Nico? It did not. I mean, (laughs) I wanted to slap it. It did not slap, though. I also solved that one immediately and that was not an example of one where i felt satisfied it was just like this is so fucking dumb you think you can get one over on me by attempting this you know i just i'm gonna really quick if you're a big fan of mystery david Suchet played poirot for many 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 years on the bbc Mm. there are many movies of the most famous books and there's also a show or maybe it's all a show and they're basically like hour-long little movie episodes watch those they're great he's great Highly recommend. Don't watch the fucking big blockbuster Hollywood versions because they're shit. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Yo, the Brits do fucking TV mysteries better than anybody, man. They're so good at that. Dude, you want you want to have just the time of your life, just binge Midsummer Murders, and it's just the best. Oh, I it just get yourself a BritBox subscription, actually. Like, <laughs> spend the $4 or whatever to get the add-on on Amazon. It's the best. You know what's great, too? It's like, none of the detectives are hot on British shows. No, yeah. That's what I love about it. Like, they all look like, you know... Detectives are supposed to look Mm -hmm. like they're all a little overweight. They're wrinkly. They got weird moles. Their teeth aren't aligned. There's no Miami Vice going on there. No, (laughs) nobody's hot in British shows. It's the best, though, because then you get like Olivia Coleman on Broadchurch and you're like, you can get great actors doing these things as opposed to, you know, David Caruso on CSI Miami. I I love that about the Brits, though. It's that same like Wallace and Gromit logic where it's like, we don't want the Corvette. We want the shitty garbage truck. Yeah. (laughs) I love the Brits. What were we talking about? Yeah, so. Talking about a movie that slaps very hard. I will say the English dub, very good. Yes, I like the English dub actually quite a bit. A very good dub. Yeah, so the, there are actually two versions. Well, there's way more than two versions. Yes. Yeah. We should probably just say. You did English dub, you did English dub, I did the Italian. But you can watch this for free on Pluto TV, if you don't mind ads. Right. I watched it, I think, on Plex, which had the, I think it was a 2011 restoration which was the Italian version with the English cuts. So you get the Italian dub with a couple extra gruesome scenes in there, but all of the cuts that Argento made for the initial English release are made in that version. So it's kind of a hybrid of the two. It's a movie that was kind of picked and prodded over the years, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's the case with you know a lot of movies of this era, particularly uh, international releases. Argento's been known to do that, though. Like, famously on Dawn of the Dead, when he was producing that, he reshot scenes of that movie and added in more gore and a goblin score, weirdly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 right. I think Argento actually performs on the Dawn of the Dead score. Which goes into one of the things I, I did kind of want to talk to you guys about, because... We love the music, but overall, it's it's a weird score, and it's used in very unorthodox ways at times, and it's like it doesn't always match the actions that go on, but it kind of in a, in a fun, like, delicious way. I can't really describe it. Like, where the guy's scaling the building, the music is just so wrong for that moment, but it's also, like, a ton of fun. It's groovy. It is, yeah. It's groovy, baby. <laughs> I think it keeps scenes that feel dissonant, with each other it, it, it helps like tonally blend everything into one vibe absolutely one consistent vibe throughout like slower more boring parts or parts that aren't as exciting visually as they should be the music amps it up to like bring it to where it needs to be right. it's kind of like a calibrator yeah no i think like that's just the genre right that's just the genre that they're working in right like it's uh this is not meant to be an immersive 
horror experience. You know what I mean? You are watching a soap opera. You're watching yeah. something that's highly stylized. And as you said, it's more of a vibe. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's the way that the slashers of the eighties were too. Like, you know, they're not going for hyper-realism. They're going for something a little more abstract and a little more, you know, surrealistic. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, the score definitely helps with that. There is a wholeness to like the score in something like Suspiria though. That's an example of a score that doesn't make you go like, that was a curious place to put the theme. Like it always makes perfect sense in that movie, weirdly. I love that in movies though, dude. I do too. I fucking I do. Love, like yeah, yeah. Spike Lee does that all the time. You'll hear stories about like Terrence Blanchard. Spike will like send the script of a movie <laughs> that he's working on and be like, Terrence just, and he's a classically trained like musician. And he'll like, you know, write like a love theme or he'll write, you know, for the intense climax, you know, like the sort of building ticking clock theme. And then Spike will get them and he'll listen to them all in a row and he'll be like, eh, let's use the love theme here. Let's put that in the shootout and let's actually, let's, you know, let's put, put the, shootout the shootout music in the sex scene. Yeah. And he'll like, you know, jumble it around and Blanche will be like, what? I mean, I wrote these very specifically <laughs> yeah. for this mood. And then you see it in the final version and it always fucking rips. Yeah, exactly. There's just something about it that just fucking slaps. And I love when music doesn't fit the scene. I, yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah, show. the dissonance can be fun. Hey, that's what you guys love a lot about Succession. Not exactly the same thing, but that's using a lot of like unconventional uh, moods to fit a scene. Which oh, is, yeah. yeah. And I love it too, having been watching Succession. This movie stars David Hemmings in the bleed. Who we just covered, by the way. We sure did. Yeah, we did. And one, another amazing movie. <laughs> a little movie called Blow Up. Uh-huh. Directed by another Italian director, uh, Michelangelo Antonioni. What's this guy's deal with the Italians? He just loves them. I fucking love David Hemmings in both of these movies. Now, he is used the same way in both movies. It's, a, it's one trick that he does insanely well, but he plays the guy that thinks he saw something at a crime scene and doesn't know exactly what it is. Yep, he does that very, very And so well. he reviews it over and over and over again until he figures out the mystery. It's part of the reason why I was excited to do this movie because I'm like, oh my God, Nico's going to have a ball with David Hemmings here because of what we just did with Blow Up. I love a guy that only could have been a movie star in like a specific 10 year stretch. God, it's just so 70s, this dude. That is the thing about him, right? Like he is a swinging London, metrosexual European man with the fucking Beatles mop top <laughs> that would have never been a movie star any other time. Like he is so fucking dated. He's da- <laughs> He's immediately dated, but he is the coolest fucking thing in this context. He is the perfect kind of guy to fit this setting with with the the setting the look all of that just like not conventionally handsome but still really handsome at the same time. no handsome in his time in his time yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. here's what i could say about him i think he's likable and he's not distracting and he fits right in exactly i mean right off the bat i'm questioning this guy's motives because he just sees a woman being murdered in a window like 10 stories up he immediately runs up there no weapon somehow knows exactly what room it's in no plan and i'm just like his personality doesn't matter, clearly. He's just, we know he's the hero, and that's it. That's all we need to know. It's simple, like, uncomplicated. I love that. It's okay. Right. <laughs> he, he does the same thing in Blow Up, though. He's yes, kind he of aloof. He's sort of detached from reality. He's kind of just stumbling about life in that kind of picaresque way. I love these, like, uncomplicated, but not really one-dimensional characters, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about Jalo films, too, right, is that they don't usually star detectives. They're not usually about law enforcement officials, right? Like, that is sort of what separates them from things like The French Connection yep. or Dirty Harry or something. Which right? makes these movies scarier to me. I love just a regular guy going on, like, a, a murder mystery event or, or trying to solve a crime like this. Because they're not capable and because they're not detectives they don't have a gun you know whatever you always feel a little more uneasy like if the killer finds us we're screwed yeah we don't have a gun we don't have a badge we can't call for backup Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. right yeah Yeah, that's kind of the fine line between horror and thriller is there's only a couple things that this movie really does to differentiate itself from you know detective movies and that's one of them yeah he has to be kind of a normal, a normal guy incompetent enough to push the plot forward but incompetent enough to Attempt to scale the side of a dilapidated building. Exactly. Even, I wouldn't even call him incompetent because that sounds like a negative term, right? It's just that he is not suited for the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, right? Precisely. Right, right. It's right, his right. skills do not match the skills required. And that's actually, we've talked about this in the past. I don't remember what movie, but all horror is, is you have a certain skill set and a certain tool set and they don't help you. 
in this situation. That's really all horror is like. Right, 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 right. I think my favorite scene in this was when he was in the home of the woman who was killed and he does what he knows how to do. He begins playing the piano and he knows the killer's coming. He hears them. So he just keeps playing the piano with one hand and in the other hand he grabs a bust and he's ready to defend himself and he's like pretending like he's being aloof mm. but he's ready to fight. It's an unbelievable cat. I mean, that's scene. so it's good. So good. Mm-hmm. It's it's just fucking masterful. <laughs> that scene from top to bottom. Really yeah. clever. Yeah, really and really the way clever. Argento shoots it with like the close up on the keys and this is a, again like a staple of Jalo movies but hyper close ups like closer than you think a camera in that era was capable of getting you know yeah like you know we get individual piano keys the strings of the piano we get that close up of the table with all the trinkets on it with the murder weapon and the voodoo dolls eyeballs all the fucking eyeballs it's so gross and invasive i just but again, like hyper, hyper stylized. There's nothing like realistic about this. You're not supposed to think of this as an interpretation of reality. You're supposed to look at it as this pulpy soap operatic story that you just kind of have to deal with and vibe with. Some of the locations too, like when the murder happens, David Hemmings is in a plaza in the middle of Italy and there's something about empty Italy that just sends a shiver up my spine. You know, I don't know what it is. The end of Don't Look Now is a... Yeah, I was just about, just about to say Don't Look Now. Yeah, it's a similar kind of thing where this guy is in this heavily populated city and there's no one there to help him. But, you know, it happens in this plaza. They shot it in Turin, which is the city in northern Italy. And actually, I love this story. Um, Argento chose to shoot there because... There are more practicing Satanists in that city than in any other European city. <laughs> so he just liked the vibe. He's like, there's something evil on the streets of Turin, right? But they frame it with you know, the diner in the background, and it looks just like Nighthawks. looks just like the painting. Yeah. And it's empty, and there's these giant statues, and there's just something surreal about being there. Like, we're not in this reality where we've escaped to a different dimension we're we're in one of those paintings you know we're in like a modern art masterpiece right now it always does feel like a little bit of a hell to me to me it's like it's beautiful it's actually quite gorgeous but at night there's just that weird creeping feeling that anyone anywhere could be watching you because there's so many places to hide yeah like even in Malignant, that police station is like an Art Deco police station yeah. where he's like flipping around everything. But it just doesn't look like a police station at all. Right. It looks like something you would find in one of these alleyways. Yeah, there's like a haunted house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah it looks like, yeah, Dracula's castle or yeah. something. <laughs> there's also just some really great mystery ideas in this movie that I want to just talk about before we get too deep into the plot. And you love a mystery, Nick. He does. I do love mystery. I know this about you. You're the mystery man. <laughs> The idea that a she leaves a clue in the steam on the wall of the bathroom as she this woman is laying dying her face is burned she has like maybe a second or two left of life and he's burned her face by turning on the hot bathtub so the whole bathroom is full of steam and she writes the killer's name or tries to on the tile on the floor Mm -hmm. she ends up being found lying dead with her finger like touching the wall right. What was the other guy's job title? He wasn't a detective, but he was acting sort of like the detective. I think the other guy was just a friend of the... The original victim, right? Because he was on stage with her. Of the telepath, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The murder that incites this whole story is a telepath. She can read minds. And she's essentially like going around Europe to several conferences showing off her abilities. And that guy that you're referring to is one of her colleagues. So he's also simultaneously trying to solve the murder at the same time as our main character. Uh, the telepath figures out that there are evil thoughts in the mind of someone in the audience. She's able to sense it. Just the fact that there's a telepath in this movie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no, it's really ridiculous, but yeah. It's a perfect setup, though, because it detaches you from reality right off the yes. bat. Yeah. This you is know, the movie that you're in. Let you know what right. you're in for. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And... At first, you're watching and you're like, oh, this could be an act. But like later, when the telepath is about to get killed, the, the powers are proven real, at least in the in the logic of the movie, because she goes to answer the door. And before even looking or touching the doorknob, she like moves back in fear. And then the door is kicked down and she's killed. It's sick. It's so fucking terrifying, though. Like I, the first kill is fucked up. Oh, God, I love it. 
So that one, the steam, leaving a clue in the steam. And we sick. should mention, by the way, straight out Halloween too. That's right. The steam death. Yeah, that's right. Great scene in that. I think it might be better here. Oh yeah, well, certainly. But that that is that's a really that's a really fucking good kill. It is movie. the only thing I like about Halloween too. Halloween I'm two is good. Not a big fan of Halloween. <laughs> it is a it is a solid little follow up. That not, scene rips though. Not I agree. It's not a great movie, but it's a solid follow up. <laughs> and then um, he finds the old wall. And he's like chiseling away at the wall and there's like a drawing behind the wall. That's fucking sick too. It is great. And then he leaves the building and then the shot just hangs on the, the wall and then another piece falls off and there's more illustration behind it. It is funny watching this movie for me anyway, thinking about how much I love De Palma, but Jesus Christ, does he just steal constantly? Like, if he's not stealing from Hitchcock, it's just the Jalo films. He's such a fucking crook, man. Like, no, I love him. He, like, he, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. But too, just but just like, blatantly ripping off he movies. Stole like, everything. I know yeah. they say all art is derivative, but like when you watch a movie like Deep Red, you realize like how fucking inventive. A movie can be yeah i mean there are some movies that like you can rip them off and they're generic enough where you can make your own thing mm -hmm. in them right like you can rip off scorsese you can rip off spielberg and still appear new like you're doing something different mm -hmm. you can't really rip off hitchcock without screaming hitchcock you know what i mean you can't really rip off argento without screaming argento yeah not all derivative is equal you know what i mean absolutely yeah um, yeah, so we open up with, as we said, this uh, psychic or telepath, whatever. She gets killed in her apartment. It is witnessed, and our main character runs up to the scene of the crime, uh, finds her dead there, and uh, calls the police. Yeah, he's with his friend Carlo. Who's a musician himself. He's like a member, I think, of David Hemmings' orchestra, right? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Uh, but Hemmings is similar to his character in Blow Up. He's an artist, kind of a transplant from England is speaks fluent Italian, but isn't really Italian. He is positioned as kind of an outsider in this world, much like blow up. You know what I mean? Like he is not of this city. I would say he's a little more likable in this than he is. in Oh, certainly. <laughs> Cause yeah. he's a real shithead. <laughs> right. And blow up. But, uh, but a world-class stick man. Nonetheless, you could say that again. World -class. <laughs> uh, but Carlo's like a drunk and they're having these, philosophical conversations in the plaza and he's like throwing up into the fountain and that's when they hear the scream that at first they assume is just like a rape or something i'm just a rape <laughs> jesus christ yeah but they like they they play it off as ah someone's probably getting raped it'll be fine <laughs> i think that's like a line of the movie and uh, uh hemmings what's his character's name marcus we can call him marcus yeah i think so let's just call him marcus yeah his name is marcus I think his name is Marcus. Um, sees in the window across the way that, yeah, a woman is being murdered. Marcus Daly, by the way. There you go. Marcus, Marcus. Daly. Yeah, an Italian name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is pretty important here because when he locks the door and the killer's outside and he's on the phone with Gianna, the killer says to Marcus through the door, he says, in a gravelly voice, this time you're safe. I'll kill you anyways sooner or later. And so now we know the killer is on to Marcus and is trying to actively kill him. He knows, by the way, that there was a painting right in the apartment when he walked in that was suddenly gone on his way out. And he wasn't sure why. And he mentions it to Carlo and Carlo's like, ah, I bet you, I don't know, it was an important painting or something. I guess also important to mention that Carlo says, you know, just don't worry about this. Stay out of it. You're a stranger here. And that was the moment that tipped me off. And I started thinking a little more. I didn't really piece together the entirety of the mystery until the end. But I'm like, okay, this is, yeah. Yo. Oh. Yo. I was convinced right off the bat that it was Gianna. Gianna is a journalist, by the way, that arrives at the scene very early and starts taking She got pictures. a tip. She got a tip. I guess. Got a scoop. Starts taking pictures well before the police have allowed her to do so. And she becomes very interested in the crime, much like David Hemmings' character also gets interested in the crime. And so they form a quick bond. There's a second killing here. And I honestly missed, I'm not sure who this woman was, but there's a baby doll hanging from her ceiling. 
Um, also, it's mentioned that they need to set up the perfect conditions for their kill, which includes playing a certain song. David Hemmings hears the children's song get played as the killer enters his apartment. And I, I think there's some sort of connection where a, a woman has reported this song getting played at her house or something, something to that effect. But the killer comes in, he busts her face against the wall, knocks her out. This is the one where he turns the hot water on, boils her face, and she leaves a mark in the steam. Um, the colleague of the, what do you call her, the psychic, goes to this house and tries to identify what happened. He finds the clue, and I believe he is the next to die. We should mention, though, in that murder scene, we get the shot of the eyeball in the closet. Oh, that's a great the shot. The wide shot where it's completely dark, except for the one eyeball that opens. I don't know how Argento pulled this off. I imagine like they put a black sheet up and just had a single eyeball behind it because that thing fucking pops. Mm-hmm. It looks incredible. It is so fucking chilling. That shot, too. It's like, as much as I love Halloween, and I still do, I always will. Right. The scariest moment in Halloween, essentially the same shot. Yeah, <laughs> but d- doesn't pop in the same way that this one. Not pops. quite, no. <laughs> no. Oh, I also, I, quick little note I had here. There's that shot when that woman is getting murdered of the killer behind her. She starts walking to the other room and the killer follows from behind. It reminded me of that shot from Barry this season. Oh, yeah. Oh, reminded me, cr- and I'm like, oh, haters. You, there he you, is. You watched Deep Red before yeah. that fucking episode. <laughs> that might just be a coincidence. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise It's me. definitely not a coincidence. No. <laughs> that man. Yo, Nick, have you ever seen the, the Criterion Closet? Yeah, the Bill Hader goes to the Criterion Closet video. No. He's a big fan of House. You remember House? Yeah. <laughs> so he's going through all the DVDs and he's like, oh, House, I love this movie. This movie's fucking wild. And he forgets that he's wearing a t-shirt that has the house poster on it. <laughs> you know, the cat in house. He's like, oh, zips his shirt down. This is how much I love this movie. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot I put this on today. That's funny. So the next death is that um, the colleague. Is this the puppet scene? Yes, this yeah, is the puppet This scene. is the puppet scene, yeah. So he is aware. I think the music turns on. He knows something's up. He has like a knife and the puppet comes out at him, pops out of the closet, jump scare and just keeps walking towards the animatronic. We mentioned it's the most terrifying thing ever. For a second, I thought it was a person in a puppet outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought like it was like a kid like, running up to him. What the fuck is that? Like, Jesus Christ, it's Chucky, you know? I was like, man, I would wish I could have seen Nico's reaction to this. And I'm watching this late at night, by yeah. the way. like Because I didn't think like, sometimes if I think a horror movie is going to be really scary, I watch it during the day. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I watched The Descent for the first time, you made me watch that. I watched oh, that yeah. thing in bright daylight with many people around me. And, but if I... I, you know, imagine that the movie's going to be a little bit dated and it scares and maybe a little cornier than, you know, some of the more disturbing stuff you make me watch from time to time. I'll watch it at night, no problem. Um, but 1 a.m., yeah, that fucking doll kept me up, dude. Well, and he, he ends up slashing at it with the knife as it gets close and it falls over on the ground, skull split. And then, like you said, the camera kind of focuses on it as it's like twitching and its skull is split open. And you see the insides and it kind of feels like he just killed a guy. Yeah, it does. Even though it's definitely just an animatronic, like it's very disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the killer pops out from the side, grabs him, begins bashing his open mouth on the corners of mantles and tables. That's right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the next scene is where he breaks into this old building uh, finds the mural behind the wall. And he finds this old building in a book about ghost stories, I guess. This, I'm just realizing this This plot is like fucking Paddington 2. <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's even a similar kind of setting and everything. <laughs> I, I will say, though, I love when a movie hones in on a detail in a photograph. That's one of my favorite things is like when a character sees a specific kind of tree and so they geolocate the house based on the type of tree native to that mm. region. Sycamores don't grow here. Fucking love <laughs> that shit. 
there's a sycamore over on Liberty and Oak on that corner. (laughs) It's my favorite thing in movies. I love that shit, dude. Dude, remember that uh, uh, Netflix doc, uh, Don't Fuck With Cats? Remember that? Oh, my God. Where it's they, all that. Where they geolocate the killer based on the kind of power outlet in the cat murder video? Yep. It's great. So, yeah, he sees a specific kind of tree and is able to just, I guess, drive down a boulevard in a particular region where he suspects that home might be and finds it. <laughs> It's great. And yeah, this is where he climbs up on the roof and like the building's collapsing and he's almost falling and he uh, finds his mural hiding behind the wall. It's not really a mural, by the way. It's a child's sketch of like a person holding a bloody knife of of a short person of a child stabbing a large person or at least it appears that the child is stabbing a large person. And so he puts together that this was perhaps a child that did the killing. He does not scrape the part of the photo that includes a larger figure doing the actual killing. And we come to find out exactly what that means in just a bit. But after he leaves, he decides to go on the run with his journalist lover there, Gianna. While she's packing up, he looks at the picture again of the building, sees a window missing. Or he sees a window in the photograph that was not at the location. Yes, He remembers that, wait a minute, there wasn't a window there. So he deduces that the window has been covered up. Perhaps there's something hiding in that part of the house. And he smashes the wall open and finds a hidden room with a rotting corpse. A mummy, basically. A mummy. Yeah. And that is where the initial murder happened. That's where the mystery killer did his or, or should her I say a daddy? First. <laughs> Kill. Get it, mummy, daddy. That's Come on, that was a good joke. Pretty good. <laughs> You've earned it, Nick. Thank you. 10,000 points. You've been a very good boy. <laughs> After he discovers the room, the killer finds him, hits him over the back of the head, knocks him out, lights the building on fire. Gianna discovers him. And this is a moment where I think, like, if you were suspicious of Gianna, that red herring has become... Yeah, this for me, I was like, I was like, this is the moment where Gianna turns on him. Gianna, having uh, been left a note about where Marcus was, finds him at the last moment, pulls him out of the burning building, all the evidence goes up in flames. He then goes uh, for safety to the landlord... The guy that's trying to sell him this dilapidated home has the key to it. Him and his creepy-ass daughter who stabbed the lizard earlier on in the movie. She has a drawing in their home that matches the drawing on the wall. Right? Yes. (laughs) But it's just so needlessly convoluted. Right. (laughs) So we're like, holy shit, she's the killer, right? I'm thinking the little girl is the killer, but that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Not like the actual killer makes much sense. But... um. He's like, where'd you get that picture? How how could you have drawn the same picture that was on the wall behind the sheetrock in the home? And she goes, I saw it at my school. It was in like the library of my school. And I'm really into like gruesome, violent things. She's a creepy ass girl. Creepy ass girl. Creepy kid. I don't like creepy kids. I don't know. Every girl I know our age and younger loves true crime. So <laughs> this was women in true crime. They love it, dude. Like, they fucking do. It's weird. They really do. They love, like, the husband killed the wife. Why is that? Yeah, I think, and listen, I'm no Freud here, but I think every woman wants to be murdered. (laughs) (laughs) I'm no Freud here. I think every woman wants to be murdered. I think that's the only explanation. (laughs) What a sentence. I think it's just like a sex thing. I think I they're know. just, I, I think that it's just interested in people's minds and what drives people to those sort of emotional extremes. I think that's probably a, a healthy reading of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they want to be murdered, <laughs> but they do seem to like hot killers. You know what I mean? They do. They do tend to prefer it when the killer is a smoke show. To be fair, when it comes to like Hollywood productions, everyone is a smoke show. I guess, but they don't want like fucking Paul Giamatti murdering them. You know what I mean? But these like fucking like like forensic files. It always is like Paul Giamatti killing them. No, yeah, in life <laughs> it's thing. like yeah, right. It's it's John Carroll Lynch. You know what I mean? It's not. <laughs> is OJ Simpson too hot to have done it? 
Is that what you're saying? <laughs> OJ's innocent on account of his hotness. That's right. Just a couple of guys talk about women's psychology here. Nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> Nothing to see. Just your average pod. <laughs> Next pod. <laughs> Feel free um, to skip. <laughs> so is this the moment where where Carlo comes out? Yeah. Uh, uh, they find attached to the photo Carlo's name. Marcus puts it together. Carlo appears with a gun and is like, I'm going to kill you. I told you to stay out of it. At the last second, the police invade. Carlo is unable to shoot Marcus. The police are also unable to shoot him. That's that's right. But then a, a high-speed chase ensues. Which is just fucking bananas, this chase. I think this is the most brutal death in the movie by a long shot. Because as Carlo's escaping, a, is it a garbage truck is driving by? Something like that, yeah. And uh, randomly, for some reason, has like a giant hook hanging off of it. <laughs> And suddenly, Carlo is the safe in the Fast and Furious 6, I think. Yep. Getting dragged along behind this garbage truck as he's driving through the road. They take a turn, and his head goes into the curb. Well, you know what it is? It's like a demented take on Ben-Hur is what it is. I mean, it's like the chariot, you know, scene in Ben-Hur, just a lot more gruesome and... um, yeah, it's, it's like a B-movie version of that. Yeah, and then the truck has to stop suddenly, and then another car is coming through cross-traffic, runs right over his head, oh, splats it like a watermelon. I love a good head smash. It's great. Movie. Love Skull Trauma. Big fan of it. It, it is the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a great t-shirt. I heart Skull Trauma. That's a great t-shirt. <laughs> Bring that to a football match. There's another reason why the Predator pisses me off. That's another head trauma thing. We don't even fucking remember it. Yeah. No. How many times do you see like a bad guy when he's on the run from the police? He just gets hit head on by the car, which is what I'm convinced. Or I was convinced maybe the, the hook would go through his body. Right. He's going to get away. Oh, no. And then you hear the blaring of the horn and he tries to swerve. And he ends up getting hit on the highway. Right. That doesn't happen here. He gets sideswiped by the car, and it's much more gruesome and much harder to watch, and it's great. And it's way longer. It just drags, mm, literally, literally and figuratively. Literally. Yeah, it's- literally and figuratively. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Man. Uh, but uh, a careful viewer might notice that, wait a minute, Carlo had a gun. Since when has the killer used a gun? <laughs> right. Yep. Now, did Marcus put this together, too? Well, Marcus recalls that when the murder was happening, Carlo was standing right next to him. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. A very very crucial fact. Yeah. (laughs) So wait a minute. You got a pretty good alibi here, bud. I was literally with you. (laughs) Um, Although Carlo does, you know, step away in awfully convenient moments. Sure. And is not present for the entirety of the murder. But not enough to suddenly jump up 15 flights of stairs and then. (laughs) Totally. That is correct. Yes. Totally. Marcus confronts Carlo's mama. <laughs> Goes back to the apartment. It's like something's not right. This picture thing isn't sitting right with me. This painting thing. Oh, right. This is when he remembers or realizes. Did you watch this movie, Nick? I did, yeah. Okay. Just checking. And I've been fighting COVID. That's true. That's yes. True. Got the brain yes. fog. I mean, Welcome give back, me a by fucking the way, Nick. break. <laughs> Welcome back. Jesus Christ. Happy to have you back. Yeah. Um, fucking getting getting COVID. What a lame excuse. What a loser, right? What a lame fucking excuse. Dude, dude, fucking get a better immune system, bro. I don't know what to tell you, dude. I didn't have the Irish coverage, you know? Jesus Christ. Yeah, the vaccine doesn't cover the No, it Irish. doesn't. The Irish strain is it's crazy. Well, they don't have 5G over there. <laughs> nope. That's, so it doesn't really work. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so he's like something's not right with this painting and then he realizes oh what an idiot that painting I was looking at was actually a mirror and I saw a face in the mirror and it's the face of the killer and we get a look at it too and it is Carlo's mom the former actress who had quite a bit of screen time in this movie and should have been kind of a tip off to be like, yeah, why, why are we spending so much time with the mom here? Why mm-hmm. are there so many phone mm-hmm. calls between her and, and Marcus? Which we didn't really mention her much in our synopsis, but she was there, I promise. Yeah, she, yeah. Was, yeah. she was there quite a bit. Kind of always lurking. Right. <laughs> Turns out when Carlo was a kid, she murdered his father, and um, Carlo has been covering it up. 
to protect his mama. Yes. And has been carrying around this trauma with him. But his mother is also a fucking serial killer. I mean, she's a psychopath. Yeah, that's right. It's not Fair. just, so I didn't just kill my husband because I don't, you know, I don't even remember why she did it, but it doesn't really matter because she's just a psychopath. She's killing random people for no reason. He was going to institutionalize her. He probably knew about her other killings. Probably. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's probably been <laughs> at it for a while. I yeah. married an axe murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fiddlesticks. <laughs> I can change her. I can, oh my God. She's a project. Oh my God. I can change her. And uh, she's very mad at Marcus for killing Carlo, even though Carlo died to a garbage truck. Oh. Right. She tries to kill Marcus, but of course the killer wears too much jewelry. Not a Jalo film if you're not wearing a ton of jewelry, right? It's always going to get you. Mm-hmm. It yeah, always no. does. It's just like uh, if anybody's watched The Incredibles, this is why you don't wear a cape. Ah, it's why you don't wear a cape. It's it's why they tell you don't wear rings or bracelets when you're doing woodwork in a wood shop. This is why when you work in a restaurant, you don't have long hair or you put it up in a hairnet or something. Because always get you, man. I don't like these yep. stories. They scared the shit out of me. Yeah, dude. They I do not like them. I'm scared of wood. Just like if you watch, uh, it's. What is it? I need you to leave Tim Robinson. Uh, I think you if you leave. have a ponytail. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a ponytail, you can get stuck under a car. You never know. <laughs> There's a scene. You never just, know. Who parked on the sidewalk? <laughs> There's a scene in fucking Piranha 3D where a girl gets her ponytail caught in the propeller of a boat and her entire oh, scalp oh, no. and face rips off. <laughs> 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 it's the dumbest. <laughs> but. Her necklace, the killer's necklace, gets stuck in an elevator. They have one of those old timey elevators that are like a, it's like a cage. Yeah, it's not like a it's cage not, door. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a cage door. Her necklace gets caught in there. Right. And uh, Marcus, realizing this is his moment, presses the down button on the elevator. <laughs> it's good. <kind of, laughs> it's quick thinking, you know. That's the great. Oh, it's the best. I would be sitting there paralyzed, like, is the elevator, where, where did I last see the elevator? Where, how will it get here quicker if I press up or down? It's just such a, like, true lies, you're fired kind of moment. It's like, perfect, yeah. I got it. Got him! <laughs> and uh, what I love is that it doesn't just strangle her as it would in real life and then break or Yeah, whatever. it would snap way before it did what <laughs> right. it ends up doing. No, it decapitates her clean. Sure her necklace just... <laughs> sure does and then this movie ends i think with like a really fucking sick beat or something with the pool of blood yeah yeah and scene the movies just end much like argento's films they just they're done they're done that's it same thing with uh suspiria like once the lead exits the building that's it you're done <laughs> it's sick yep this movie rocks mm-hmm. again watch it for free pluto tv you can use an ad blocker you can use an ad blocker on Pluto TV. I do it all the time. That is a great life hack. Mm. Yeah. All right, bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>